0: Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers with whatever writing ailments you might have.
1: Whether it's related to your craft or your career, we can help.
0: Are you ready for your session?
1: The doctors doctors are are in. in. So today we have with us uh, Matthew Gentile, uh, the writer-director of American Murderer, the true crime thriller based on the story of still-at-large murderer Jason Derrick Brown. Welcome to the show, Matthew.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So, uh, you know, we always like to start these because we're about writing and writers. Um, how did you get your start in writing and uh, and uh, and then tell us how you came up to doing uh, the American Murderer uh, film?
2: Great. Yeah. Um Well, I began writing at a young age. I always loved writing stories and reading. I was a big reader as a kid. Um, But in terms of screenwriting specifically, um, the first thing that really sparked me was when I was 12 years old, I saw the film Dog Day Afternoon. My father showed it to me when I was way too young to see it. And when he showed it to me, it really lit my fuse. You know, I had never really seen a movie quite like that before. And it was the first time I saw something I was like, I said to my dad, I go, I don't want cartoons anymore. <laughs> I don't want, you know, Cartoon Network. I want more Dog Day Afternoon. And then that began, he began showing me The Godfather and Goodfellas and Pulp Fiction and movies that really just shook the box for me and really lit me on fire. And uh, but when I was 12, years old, specifically, specifically screenwriting, I was 12. My mom and I were in New York City and they used to have these street stands um, where people people would sell screenplays printed off of like drew scriptorama.com. <laughs> this is the early two thousands. So I see, you know, uh, a copy of dog day afternoon. They had this printed version with like a bootleg like a picture from the movie on top of it. And they were selling the scripts for 10 bucks. So my mom bought it for me as a Hanukkah present. And I took the screenplay home. I read it and I watched it. I read it and I watched the VHS at the same time of dog day afternoon. And I, that's the first time I learned that, you know, words on a page could become images on a screen. And I just was absolutely hooked, entranced that this was a thing that screenplay was like architecture and it really fascinated me. And so, you know, being a filmmaker kind of started to speak to me through that. And I started making films at a young age in high school. with My brother, we were the genteel brothers. My brother did the score for American Murderer and he and I would co-direct and co And you know, we we're like, we're going to be the Cohen brothers. Sounds <laughs> kind of our, our fantasy, but It was a, um, yeah, but the the answers for screenwriting specifically, it kind of came from that. And then in terms of how it came to be American murderer, basically what, what happened, I was 14 and I used to be obsessed with the FBI's top 10 list. Um, I think I learned about it through the move through Silence of the Lambs. I saw that also at too young of an age (laughs) and there's a recurring theme of that here and I would go on the FBI.gov, look at the top 10 fugitives list with the foolish assumption that I could help them catch a fugitive, you know, um, typical kid stuff. And Jason Derrick Brown's face went on the FBI's most wanted fugitives list around that time. He became a top 10 list, a top 10 fugitive in 2007, I think. But I remember in 2004 when the crime was committed, I was about 13 or 14, and I saw Jason's face and it stuck out to me because... You know, on the top 10 fugitives list, you have Osama bin Laden, Whitey Bulger, you know, really menacing, mean looking dudes. And then you've got this surfer dude from Southern California with spiky blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, looks, he looks a lot like Sean Penn in Fast Times at Ridgemont High to the point where they've arrested Sean Penn's body double twice in the 18 years Jason's been missing. So this guy was not the typical fugitive, typical criminal of this, of this caliber. So I just became really, you know, I remember that face sparked me and I just remember it stuck in my head. Cut to 12 years later, I, you know, went to school, at Connecticut college, studied film and English, did a liberal arts degree. I did a semester abroad at the FAMU film school in Prague. And that experience really, really made me want to be a filmmaker because that was my first taste of a film conservatory um and i made a short film there that really got me excited about film directing um and i've been doing it all throughout but that was really the first time i was like okay i I think i want to go to graduate school for film and i worked at william morris for a year after uh college as my first industry job a first industry job uh, after doing a lot of internships and paing and stuff like that but i worked in the mailroom william morris and became an assistant and then Right around then, I applied to film school at AFI with a film I made on one week's paycheck, which at the time was $640. And uh, that film got me into AFI for directing. So I went there, got to make a lot of shorts at AFI. Um, it was very lucky to have a couple that did quite well in the festival circuit, opened a lot of doors for me. But the big challenge was figuring out how do you make your first feature and you know, as a director and as a screenwriter. Um, and for me, you know, at first I was trying to make something kind of much smaller, um, in scope. And, um, I was figuring, you know, I was doing my second thesis film law, man. This is like back in 2017 or 2016 rather. And I'm drawing out storyboards. Um, and you know, I'm just drawing out the frames of the shots and I always have documentaries on in the background. And as I'm drawing all of a sudden Jason's face pops up on my TV screen, just a huge, And I see it and it sends a jolt to my system. I'm like, I remember that. What is that? And I look at it and I start watching it. And I realize, wow, this guy's been missing now for, you know, for over a decade. What happened here? And I just became absolutely entranced. And like I said, I was at a time in my life where I was figuring out was the first movie going to be. I had a few like false starts on a couple different projects. One I was offered once, you know. A couple others and i just said i realized that if i wanted to direct a first feature that truly felt like something i wanted to do was a movie that can you know contain a message i want to say i had i had to write it myself and the story this face of jason just hit me at the absolute right time where i was just like why hasn't there been a movie made about this guy because he's really interesting and you know i thought it could be like a film like dog day afternoon or even you know it got like a, a, a 1970s anti-hero story that I just hadn't seen in a while or wanted to see. So, you know, I was really inspired and I was seeing films like Good Time getting made and I just got really excited and decided that this would be, you know, a, a great first movie for me because at first I thought the story was so big that I thought it would be too much for a first feature maybe. So I thought maybe I'd just write the script and try to, you know, get it on, you know, get it out there into the industry and see who would be interested in making it. But as I started to write it and became obsessed with the story and the character, I realized that I had to do it. And this had to be my first movie.
0: I love the fact that this (laughs) serial killer was like your Helen of Troy. (laughs) I just think that's hilarious. Like he was your inspiration and obsession. (laughs) Uh, There is so much I want to unpack here, but let's go back a little bit. You said your brother helps you and he did the score for this. So how did he, we didn't know that. How did he, Play into this film besides being the composer? Did he consult with you, or how did that work?
2: Well, so my brother is a classical pianist and conductor. That's what he's trained in. So he, he's you know he's a prodigy. He was playing piano when he was six. (laughs) Wow. He's a real yeah. He's a real he's a genius. And um, actually, so he yeah in high school we would write and direct movies together. You know, and he got me into film. Uh, You know, I was into filmmaking i was 13 i think and he was 14 or 15 and he won an award for a little short he made and my mom was kind of like matthew's thing is film you have to next movie you make you have to take him with you (laughs) and i showed up to like the student movie set and scott my big brother put the camera in my hand and i started started shooting you know and that was it that was my you know my brother did absolutely help helped me get into it. I said this, this is my best man speech for him, So I'll stop being schmaltzy now. But, um, you know, my brother, he yeah, he's an incredible musician. The plan originally actually was not to have him do the score for this. He had done some scores on my shorts, but you know, he has a very busy career. He plays, he's played Carnegie Hall and concerts all around the world. So, you know, he's a busy guy. What happened was in COVID, you know, when we filmed the movie, this was, you know, we're talking 2020 late 2020 was when we were filming early 2021. So when my brother, um, you know, he had won all these competitions and had all these concerts plans and they got shut down from COVID. So he was available to help me with the film. And the original intention was for him to be an orchestrator um, on the film, like to, you know, just help the composer who I had hired, get like, you know, the right instruments and connected him in that way. The composer ended up having to leave the project for all kinds of reasons. And so my brother was making music while we were like on a search for a new composer and me and my editor started putting the, his music into the film and the producers heard it and they said, what's this temp music? This is really great. And I said, that's not, that's my brother's did that thing. And they go, well, why don't we hire him to do it? So I call my brother up and I say, Hey, can you score a whole movie in three and a half months? And you know, my brother is a, intrepid guy. And he said, I can do it. And he did. And he didn't. I think he did a phenomenal job, if I may say so
0: myself. Oh, that is amazing. And then one other thing you said uh, I thought was fascinating. So you went to AFI for directing, but I noticed Mm -hmm. off your IMDb a lot of and I'm guessing maybe they're your shorts leading up to this feature film, writing and directing. So do you have a preference or are you basically like I'm wearing both hats all the time, no matter what?
2: It's a great question. You know, I I see the two is very linked um you know i don't think that they're exclusive of each other necessarily that said you know they're you know we in the in the film industry and world we like to put like you know labels like you're a writer director you're a director who writes you're a director who doesn't write you know like i did write this script definitely out of necessity um you know because i wasn't able to say hire a writer to do it for me, right? If I was able to do that, maybe I would have, but I don't think so because the truth is I love screenwriting. Um, I consider it and I love writing in general. Um, but I have a lot of respect for writers in the writing process. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, if I had to say which one I am over the other, like I'm probably a director first, just cause that was my training at AFI, you know, that's what I studied and majored in, but I sat in on every writing class I could, um, every screenwriting class and, you know, But my real screenwriting school after AFI were for a few things. One was I was a script reader for um, various places, um, you know, which I probably shouldn't say because I know they like to keep those anonymous. But you can imagine, Um, you know. But I worked as a script reader in the industry and. I listen to every screenwriting podcast I can, and I was—I'm a frequenter still of the WGA library. I go there all the time to read scripts um, while I'm writing, or just be surrounded by them. Because I do think screenwriting—it really is—I do see it as an art. I know some people say it's not. They say like, "Oh, novels are an art, plays are an art, screenwriting isn't." But I think it is. I think it's a really specific way of writing. Um, And I think you know, reading a great screenplay is so always so exciting to me um like dog day afternoon did for me you know that was definitely one of the things and so you know i think yeah i i love writing and directing pretty much in equal parts it's kind of funny because writing is so solitary (laughs) by nature and i'm an introvert so i do love that but i also like it's funny because when i was writing i'd be like oh sometimes i just really want to be shooting right now and then when i'd be shooting and surrounded by, you know, 50 to hundred people all the time. And like, I just want to be in a whole writing. So I guess, you know, you always want the other, you know, the grass is always greener, but no, I love them both. And directing my own script was a really gratifying experience. Um, because, you know, I realized like when you're on that set and it's, you know, it's such a team sport, um, you know, my cinematographer, my editor, my production and my producers are all people I've worked with for a very long time. And, you know this is it's everyone and the actors you know the, it becomes everyone's film you know it's not a you know the, i'm not really the biggest i love a lot of auteur filmmakers but i don't really believe in auteur theory i think it's kind of silly um at this point because you know when you go through the experience of making a movie you don't get there without the help of literally like hundreds of people you know or some movies thousands of people so you know i think it is a team sport but when you write and direct you do definitely have a certain I have not had the experience yet really of other than shorts of directing someone else's screenplay. And I imagine that has different challenges from being the writer director, you know, or being a director doing someone else's open script. So yeah, it's something I'm figuring out, you know, but this experience was wonderful. I mean, getting to direct my own screenplay was really special, you know?
1: Cool. Kind of along those lines on the writing side of it, um, the the character of Jason is uh, played by actor Tom Mm Pelfrey, and uh, it's mostly told from his perspective, um, which is obviously hard to fill in because, you know, he didn't actually talk to the guy. So how did you approach it? How did you get in his mind? What was the psychology of his his pretty complex personality?
2: Yeah, well, that's a great question. I mean, when I first sat down to write the script, you know, of course, the question there, in Hollywood, they're big on likable, you know, and I knew I was making an indie film, so I didn't necessarily have to follow those kinds of guidelines. But, you know, it always was, was how are you going to make an audience care about this character? How are you going to hook them on the journey, make them intrigued or, you know, compelled? And when I first started, you know, for me, there was a movie that really also lit my fuse. When I first moved out here at the New Beverly Cinema, they showed a film called Vengeance is Mine, directed by Shohei Imamura. It's a Japanese film that was made in 1979. And it's about a very charming serial killer who travels around Japan. And it's a true story also. Much more disturbing than my film. Um, But it was a really wild experience because I went to the New Bev on a Saturday at like 9 p.m. And I had no idea what this movie was. I just took a chance on it. As, and it was a packed crowd, and the crowd laughed, cried, and was repulsed and horrified. <laughs> and I walked out of that theater, and I said, "I want to do that." <laughs> you know, I want what that movie did to that audience. That's that's what I'm looking to do. Um, and so, in writing the script for this movie, you know, at first the early drafts of the screenplay were much more Jason centric, in that there wasn't really any leaving his point of view. It was all like it was like an 85 page, really lean. Caught screenplay that just f- followed him through like the, what is the, I guess the main storyline of the movie, him robbing the truck and right. Pulling that, pulling off that crime. And that script got picked up by my producers, Kevin Madison, Chris pathology Gia Walsh um, traveling picture show and GG films. They, you know, started to develop it with me, you know, back in like, I want to say late 2018, early 2019. And, when I worked on it with them, you know, I was, that was my first time working as a writer, you know, getting notes, getting feedback and learning how to really make a script better. And these producers, thank God for them. Cause they took, they took a chance on my script and they took a chance on me as a first time director. And what we realized as we worked on it was, and what had drawn me to tell the story initially, because, you know, I wasn't really interested in necessarily just like a movie about a sociopath, you know, and this is something I talked with Tom about a lot too, is, You know, Tom's first question he asked me was, do you see Jason as a wounded, immature man child, or do you see him as a sociopath? And to me, I think, you know, obviously, if you look at the definition of sociopath, he he has (laughs) elements of that. Right. But I think as a writer, director, or in his case, an actor, you know, approaching the role and approaching the character I don't think you can really look at it that in that much of a label. I think you have to look at them as, as your characters, all of them as human beings. And so for me, I always saw Jason as the wounded immature man child, but doesn't know that he's a sociopath um, is not aware of that. And so when we made the film, when we wrote the script, what I also re- realized that the story was not, just fascinating because of jason Derek brown but it was also fascinating because of the people who knew him and loved him so it was as much their movie as it was his movie that this was an ensemble film in my view and i think that's what it came out to be because as i worked on the script with, with traveling picture show and Gigi films you know when we developed it and went through rounds and rounds of notes what really ultimately made the script i think work and get to the level where it could attract the certainly the cast that it did which you know, this cast by far exceeded (laughs) what I had anticipated we would get for this kind of film. Like, you know, to get Ryan Phillippe, Adina Menzel, Jackie Weaver in your first movie is not something that commonly happens. So, you know, my, my list was not quite like that. It was a lot of great actors, but not actors of that, of those with those kinds of names. So to get it to that level, I think part of what made it that way was realizing that this was a movie about seeing Jason through all these multiple perspectives. So, you know, Ryan's character, Lance Lysing serves as the way in and he takes you through the journey and he takes you through to Adina's character, who's his love interest and landlady. And that's a different lens on Jason. And then you see it through the sister who her lens changes all throughout the movie. And then you see it through his mother who sees right through him. Right? So you are with Jason for a lot of the movie, as you pointed out, uh, Tom, but you also see Jason through all these different vantage points. And I think what that does is that by the end of American murderer, you've seen Jason Derek Brown from a 360 degree view and you get to comprehend who he is, you know, whether you love him, hate him, or fall anywhere in between you at least understand, okay, this is who this guy was. This is the impact he had. And that's what I was, you know, trying to do was help us, help us as an audience understand this kind of person and why they're, you know, why we fall for them. Why do we fall for the charm of a con man, right? What or the con artist? Um, what is that all about? So that's what the movie was trying to explore. And I think that's what helped to make him, interesting character.
1: So how much of uh, Jason's personality was on the page versus like how much did Tom bring to the role? I mean, like, when you yeah. did, did you did you coach Tom based on feedback you got from, you know, people you interviewed or researched with?
2: That's a great question. Um, you know, so well, before Tom came on, I did a lot of research into who he was. I interviewed a lot of people, um, some who knew him. Um, Some knew others who knew him but i i interviewed a lot of folks um, cops who worked the case you know and and all sorts i'm not going to say exactly who because i don't want to out them but i did a lot of deep dive research into this into Jason's character um you know and learned specifically about the days leading up to the murder and what he was like in that in that in those moments and the desperation and all of that so that was you know that was on the page but um you know when you work with an actor like tom Pelfrey you thank the movie gods for giving you someone like him because he is such a tour de force um you know he came into the casting process pretty like we were it was April 2020 my producer Gia Walsh called me and she said uh are you watching Ozark and I said I wasn't and she said well you need to watch Ozark because this guy is phenomenal and I said okay and then in the same day my brother bringing him back full circle. My brother called me and my best friend who's a talent agent called me and they both said, are you what they, cause they had read the script and they knew they knew I was making this movie for a long time. And they were like, have you been watching Ozark? Tom's this guy, Tom Pelfrey is really good. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch Ozark and see. And then as I started watching, I realized I had seen Tom in a couple indie films before and other things. And I was like, Oh my God, this guy is perfect because he has this physical dynamic nature to him. So to answer your question, um, You know, the role was definitely pretty fleshed out on the page because I worked on the script for so long and had, you know, went through so I know and I vet my scripts a lot. I mean, I these producers were really, you know, working closely with me, my team, my cinematographer, Khalilah Robinson, my editor, Matt Allen, my editor, Chris Young, like they read every draft I write and, you know, give me feedback and know, you know, and and I have writer friends who read it. So by the time a script, you know, even if I send a script out to, say, my manager or a person who's in power to make this movie happen or give it a green light. I work on it a lot for a long time. Um, I never really sent it. So it was definitely there, but Tom added so much and, you know, the script was pretty tight and allowed him places where he could just improvise and add stuff. You know, there's a great moment in the scene when he asks his friend to rob the truck with him. And he starts going like, is that a no mommy? <laughs> right. And he's on the drugs. And that was completely improvised. So there were moments where he just did go off onto these tangents and tried things. And, you know, he was really fearless actor, but you know, what he would say, and I think I can say too, is that, you know, the movie was a really interesting mix of tons of preparation, you know, lots of storyboarding and shot plans and shot designs and a vetted script and all of that. And then we would get on set and we would, do things like there's also the scene when he's doing pull-ups on the boat and he just he he just started doing that that was not in the script you know so and that you know inspired me to do a transition match cut where he's doing pull-ups in his garage so you know there were things that he was adding and I was adding but you know I didn't in terms of coaching him I didn't really I can't say I really coached Tom too much we had a lot of zooms where we talked about the character and You know, we read some of the scenes out loud with the other actors. I did this technique where I stripped out all the action lines in the screenplay once it was locked, and he and I would read the dialogue, at first just him and me, and we would talk about lines and what they meant and the subtext and anything. I kind of gave him, I was like, any questions you want to ask the director and or the writer, feel free to. Just shoot them over to me. And he would, you know, we would talk about things, get behind the words, what did they mean? You know, we made some, I made some little changes after that, but not a lot. You know, he was pretty... Tom is pretty loyal to the script and would always do takes first loyal to the script. And then I we would let him go and go all kinds of places. And he would, he really did some amazing things just physically, like the way he puts his hands on the ceiling and the nightclub scene or things like that. He's just very, he's a very dynamic actor. And uh, I feel very lucky that we got him to do this role because, you know, it, it's hard to imagine anyone else playing it.
0: That's awesome okay so this is a minor spoiler alert for anybody who doesn't know the case you can obviously just like look it up on Wikipedia or whatever but so your main character is still at large is was it hard to write a story that is technically unfinished
2: It's very you guys ask good questions <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah that's interesting you know that never struck me as a challenge I kind of found it to be part of the appeal but I'm a guy who likes ambiguous endings I remember when I saw no country for old men in the theater in 2007 <laughs> I'll never forget uh the reaction I saw it in New York City the first time and the ending made everyone like walked out so happy and then I saw it in like a theater in the middle of upstate New York and the lights came up and everyone just started to shrug <laughs> and raise their hands like what what it was squinting what was that And I love, you know, movies that kind of end on a bit of an ambiguous note. Um, That said, I don't even think American murder really ends on an ambiguous note because yes, you know, Jason Derrick Brown does get away with the crime. But you know, having watched the movie, I think you can say it's not exactly what I would call a happy ending, right? Um, He definitely destroys his, his world and his life around him. And it's almost like a death, right? So this concept of disappearing into the ether. Um, So, you know, that was part of the appeal for me. I wouldn't say it really scared me. And I guess I've had people say, are you worried? He might come out and like try to, you know, whatever. Uh, (laughs) But I don't think he will because he would get caught. Um, And, uh, you know, so, yeah, I think it's um, I think that was actually part of the appeal to me that this was an unsolved case. Kind of kind of fascinated me in a way.
1: Yeah, the uh, I was comparing it to um, Catch Me If You Can with DiCaprio and uh, in that one, you know, we're actually endeared to Frank uh, uh, Leonardo's character. And in this movie, up until he he commits the murder, we almost kind of like want to root for him. Were you trying to get that, that kind of switch, like toy with the audiences, like emotions towards Jason?
2: Well, I'm thrilled to hear you say that because you know, that's not always the case. (laughs) 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 <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that. Um, and yes, that's exactly correct. But, you know, again, it's not always conscious. Like I got to tell you, I when I filmed this movie, you know, like we're filming, we started filming November 2020. So this has been a was At that point, the movie had been in my computer as a script for about three plus years. So I finally get to make it in the middle of, you know, the thick of the pandemic. Um, in Utah where it was in November, 2020 it was not great. I mean, it wasn't great anywhere, but it was really not great there. Um, and getting to make it was such a fast, quick thing compared to how long it took to get made, you know, which is often how it goes. And, you know, so when I was filming, I was really, even though I was so prepared with the storyboards, shallots, everything, I was so flying by the seat of my pants. Everything was happening a million miles a minute, you know, directing a movie is like running, they say it's like Billy Ray, my mentor, who's a great writer also, um, as well as director he says it's like running in front of a locomotive train so i'm running in front of a locomotive train i know my intentions that's all in there but things are changing constantly as they do on film shoots so i get to the end of it i shoot the whole movie we end up shooting a lot more footage than we thought we would um especially cuz we only filmed it in you know a short amount of time and i get to the edit room and the f- the assembly my editors put it together and it's it's 3 hours and i'm like what how do we how do we it's a hundred, it was a 105 page script. How do we have a three hour cut? What is this? The Irishman, you know? So I'm just completely surprised flabbergasted that we even shot that much, but you know, there was a lot of improv. We were let, We were letting the actors explore things and you know, it was, it was, it was great. We had all of that because I was able to, you know, the movie's pretty tight at one hour 40. So we were able to really sculpt the elephant down from the block of marble. Um another Billy Ray quote, but so I, you know, I realize we have a lot of stuff, but when I watched that three-hour cut, and anyone who's directed a movie will tell you that watching the first assembly is like one of the worst experiences. And that's not because the editors aren't brilliant. My editors were. um, Both are brilliant. But, you know, it's just hard. You're seeing all your flaws. You know, the movie's not finished. It's not like sculpted yet, so you're just watching everything. But I watched the three-hour cut, and when it got to the murder, I forgot he was going to shoot him. (laughs) To which point I said, I was like, I think Yeah. Like I really forgot. I really was like, Oh my God, he's about to kill. Wow. And so I realized I was like, if I feel that in a three hour cut, if we really work on this thing and get it into shape, which, you know, post was maybe the hardest I've, I've ever worked in my life, but you know, if we really like do our homework, I think we can get the audience to feel that. So it was the intention, you know, is that look, you know, he's a, kind of a lovable buffoon in a way, you know, he's like a bro college, right? Like I think everyone's probably seen a Jason Dark Brown at their college, right? And he's in the, he's probably heading up the fraternity or, you know, he's working, you know, like they've seen that guy. So, you know, I think that's part of the appeal. And I know that Tom, and that was something we were very you know strict about was like you know there was always talks in the scripts like why you open with the murder because that's how all true crime documentaries kind of open these days right or true crime movies even like open with the crime and go backwards how did that happen and i was very adamant on never doing that because the surprise of the film is that yes this guy is capable of doing that because you know it's called american murder but you don't know how the murder happens and unfolds and that's part of the fun of the movie so i think you know yeah it was by design to make you really you know, be like, where's this movie going to go? What's this guy going to do? How's he going to get caught up in all of this? And have you leaning forward and asking the questions? And yeah, you know, I think, I think there, he died. He obviously did have lovable qualities, you know, because how else would all these people felt that way about him? You know, so, and I think that's where, again, the various lenses on him from, you know, Adina's character, I think is super important for that. Or Chantelle, who I think is an incredible actress, plays Jamie, the sister, you know, is also an incredible lens because you see how what was so lovable about him, and how could he then go and do this? You know, and that's that's the, the big question of the movie. Yeah,
1: there's a lot to to see in this movie. It's uh, it's uh, very layered and complex, um, and, and really interesting film. I, I really enjoyed it.
2: Thank you so much.
1: So, where can people see uh, American Murderer?
2: Please come see American Murderer on October 21st in select theaters. And then on October 28th, it'll be on demand and digital.
1: And if people want to find you and learn more about you, where can they go?
2: Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Matthew L. Gentile. Um, and you can follow on my website, com.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Matthew. This has been really great. Uh, remember to follow us on at WG Therapy on Instagram and Twitter. And we'll see you next time.